Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss the idea of trying to emulate Warren Buffett quantitatively and systematically. Spoiler alert, it's impossible to capture Buffett's investing greatness in any type of computer model. However, there are investment factors and criteria that exist that attempt to identify the types of companies Buffett has favored historically. Finding companies with moats around their businesses and profits and companies with high quality fundamentals are simple examples of investing methods that can help identify firms with Buffett-like characteristics. Jack and I discuss Validia's Buffett model, which is based on the book Buffettology, and talk through some of the discrete investment criteria used in the strategy. As always, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, so today we wanted to start out by just talking about the idea of quantifying these great investors, and we're going to really focus in on Warren Buffett. He is one of the strategies. We run a Buffett-based model on Validia, and we'll get into what what those investment criteria are, and we'll sort of talk through some of those. But the first question is, is can you, can you really come close to quantifying an investor like Buffett? And to start, um, I know this is something you've looked at and we've both read, is that AQR paper, Superstar Investors. So maybe you, you want to talk a little bit about what AQR was trying to get at in that paper and maybe what some of the conclusions were? Yeah, sure. To take a step back, there, there's two really questions here. One is, can you quantify... Warren Buffett himself. And two is, can you build a factor-based portfolio that has exposure to similar factors to what he does? And, you know, I think the answer to can you quantify Warren Buffett himself is clearly no. Uh, You know, Warren Buffett does a lot of different things. He obviously invests in public companies, but he owns entire companies. He does things like he did in 2008 with Goldman Sachs. He, you know, he takes, he does opportunistic things when he can. Warren Buffett does many, many things and, and you can't quantify all that. But what you can do, and this gets at the AQR paper, is you can look at the factor exposures Warren Buffett has had historically, his portfolio, and you can try to mirror those factor exposures. And so in our case, what we did is we took the book Buffettology by Mary Buffett, and we we took the strategy. There was an outline, a step-by-step quantitative strategy outlined in there, and we follow that strategy for Validia. And you know the the end result of that is something very similar to what AQR found, which is Warren Buffett effectively is exposure to the quality factor exposure to the value factor. And then what AQR found that we don't do is also exposure to leverage. And so when, when you follow Warren Buffett's strategy, what you're getting is high quality companies at, you know, try to get them at the best price you can. It's not deep value companies, it's high quality companies and you're trying to get them at a discounted price. Right. Uh, one of the things that was interesting at the time, and this came up maybe like a year ago, so it's, the, I think the paper was published three years ago, we'll put it in the show notes, but it was that point that Adam Butler made, which is, yeah, it is a result of this value and mostly quality and leverage factor. But at the time, no one really knew of those factors. So it's easy to say like you can you can identify those were the sources of Buffett's alpha now, but obviously that's looking backwards. So it's easy to say that now, but he was doing that at the time. And by the way, I'll, I'll let you comment on that. But, you know, it is amazing when you look at the returns of Buffett uh, over, I think it's like 60 years now. So it was from 1965, I think, to let's say 2020, however long that is, you know, he has a 22% annualized return, which is unbelievable. 
Yeah, and you know, and that that's a point AQR made in the paper, which is saying that you can attribute Buffett's return to factors doesn't take anything away from what Buffett actually did. And and that gets to the Adam Butler point, which is, you know, the we we didn't know what these factors were back then. So just because but we can go back now and say, all right, you know, it's exposure to this quality factor and this value factor. We didn't know about any of that stuff back then. So what Buffett was doing was truly alpha back then, whereas today it might not be considered alpha because these factors are widely recognized. Right. One of the things I think that Buffett has also said is given the fact that Berkshire Hathaway is so large, the universe of potential stocks is very limited. I mean, he talks about going elephant hunting, looking for these big acquisitions um, when the price is right for this stuff. But obviously it's, you know, uh, it's, he has a much different universe now than he had even 30 years ago when Berkshire Hathaway was, you know, significantly smaller and could take smaller stakes in companies. Um, and that, I think, you know, when you, t- when you think about a quantitative ap- ap- approach trying to emulate Buffett, I think that is one potential advantage that a quant-like strategy allows you to have is that you can be a lot more nimble than Buffett can. Yeah, exactly. So if, if you're Warren Buffett right now and you see some $500 million company and you think it's, you know, meets all of your criteria, you know, and you'd love to invest in it, you can't invest in it because it won't move the needle. It, it just doesn't make any difference to him. So one of the things you can do with sort of quantitative principles that try to mirror Buffett is, is you can go further down the market cap spectrum and you can try to find companies, not necessarily that he would invest in, but that meet the, the fundamental criteria he typically looks for. And that's what we try to do. Um, for folks that are listening or watching, you know, in each annual letter that Buffett writes, and these are posted on Berkshire Hathaway's website, I think they might go back like 20 years at this point. Um, he does outline sort of high level acquisition criteria. Um, I don't have those, them exactly handy, but it's something like strong, uh, strong brand name, um, you know, good management, um, you know, leading position, those types of qualities that he's looking for. And I think when you look at at least the publicly, public publicly traded stocks that he holds, you know, you'll see a lot of those characteristics um, in many, uh, many of those companies. Um, but one of the, one of the core, and let's kind of get a little bit into this, our strategy now, the way at least that we've captured it, is based on the book Buffettology, which was written by Mary Buffett. Um, it was written by Mary Buffett and David Clark. But one of the core concepts in that investment strategy is looking for stocks that have a competitive mo or competitive advantage around the business. And we try to flush that out quantitatively looking at a few different things. So do you want to try to talk about how we, how we capture that in the model? Yeah, sure. This brings up the whole issue of can you quantify a moat? And I think, you know, there, there's been a bunch of academic research done on this and with mixed results. You know, it's very hard. Obviously, you can maybe potentially identify somebody, a firm that has a moat right now. But identifying whether that moat is sustainable is, is really difficult. And, you know, the Buffett strategy takes an interesting approach to that. And one of the signs of a moat is, is high return on capital. And so this strategy looks for consistently high return on capital over a 10-year period. Basically, the three moat-like criteria are high return on capital over a 10-year period, high return on equity over a 10-year period, and consistent earnings growth over a 10-year period. So if you're able to sustain all of those things over a 10-year period, there's at least a reasonable chance that there's some sort of moat around your business that's preventing other people from taking that from you. So, you know, it's it, just like any moat type criteria, it, it's not perfect. Obviously, some of these companies, the moat will not be sustained. But I think I think it's an interesting way to look, you know, by looking at it over a really long time, it's an interesting way to look and say, is there a com- competitive moat there? Um, and in, in our model, we do allow for one dip in earnings to happen in that 10-year period, if, as long as earnings come back to an all-time high. 
And then I think with the ROE and return on capital criteria, you know, on average, U.S.-based companies have over the long term something like a 13% return on equity, return on capital. So if it's, you know, consistently higher than that, that over time, that indicates, at least according to the model, that there's some, like you said, competitive mode around the business. The so one thing that you have to understand with capitalism and business is if an industry or company has higher than average profitability, what that results in is you know, more competition coming in just naturally as competitors try to eat away at those profits. So maintaining that higher than average return on equity, return on capital over time is extremely difficult for um, many companies. Um, and you know this model isn't perfect. It's what companies are going to maintain this higher than average return on equity, return on capital. It's just one way that you can start to try to get at, do these companies have you know, competitive moats around their businesses? Yeah, and getting back to your point about EPS dips, you know, one of the things we tried to do with these models is we, we tried to look at it as a person and say, if I was analyzing these stocks as a human being, what would I do? And then we tried to quantify that. And, and that's what that criteria is. So, for example, if you look, like, look at what we're going through right now, how many firms are not going to have at least some sort of dip because of the coronavirus in their earnings. Most firms will have, you know, the Zooms of the world obviously won't, but most firms will have some sort of dip. And so as a person, you would say, all right, we had the coronavirus. I can forgive one dip in 10 years earnings because of this as long as the trend continued. So that, that's what we're trying to do here is to look at it the way a person would and say, all right, you know, we can understand something probably is going to happen over the course of 10 years where you're going to have one problem. And we'll, we'll allow that as long as the growth continued after that. And by the way, before we get into sort of the secondary criteria here, the other thing that Buffett often talks about is he likes simple businesses. You know, he doesn't want things that are too complex that he doesn't understand. I mean, he had stayed away from technology for the most part up until a couple of years ago when he started establishing a pretty big position in Apple, which is now his largest position. Um, one of the other reasons that technology, I think, scared him, and I think this probably goes back to the teachings of Benjamin Graham, which was his professor at Columbia, which at least early on in the technology industry, you know, earnings were highly variable. So if you think back to the late 90s, early 2000s, you know, you had, well, many of them had no earnings, but, you know, a lot of these companies had earnings that were all over the place. They weren't making money. So, you know, being profitable and having an earning stream that Buffett can be confident in the future, you know, I think is a very important part of how he invests. And it's an important part of how we've tried to construct this model as well. Yeah, you know, he's, he's looking for businesses that are predictable. And you're probably right that, you know, back in at the beginning of sort of the technology boom, the businesses were a lot less predictable than they are now. And now Apple's business is fairly predictable. A Apple's a very established company. And so he adjusted his he adjusted his models, which makes sense to buy these types of companies because now they, they meet the criteria he's looking for. Um, in terms of the, the, the secondary criteria, and I think a lot of these are kind of very important to the environment that we're in. But the first thing is, you know, Buffett doesn't want to see a lot of debt. I mean, if you read his shareholder letters, you'll find that, I mean, first of all, Berkshire Hathaway has no debt. But, you know, the companies that he's investing in, he doesn't want to see a lot of debt either. I think there's something like, he kind of talks about this with derivatives, but I think it's also debt. You know, when the tide goes out, you get to see sort of who's swimming naked. Um, so, in you know, a period like this, when it's really tough and companies that have a high lot of debt, you know, when the business takes a hit, and those debt payments stay there, you know, it basically makes the company more, more fragile and potentially, you know, not, not a good investment. So the, the debt criteria is it wants to see a reasonable amount of debt given the earnings power of the company. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and all of these criteria sort of are, are like secondary quality criteria. So at first we've established whether there's 
well, we think there's a moat that can be predicted. And then secondly, we're, we're establishing some other criteria that says, is this a high quality company? So like you said, manageable amount of debt, you know, is there a positive free cash flow? And what he's getting at with free cash flow is, you know, is CapEx not too high? If CapEx is too high, you're not going to have positive free cash flow. Sustaining, you know, those assets is going to be expensive. You, you don't, you don't want to see that. You, you want to see retained earnings being turned into earnings per share over time. So he looks at sort of the pretend, percentage of total retained earnings that is that is eventually becomes earnings per share in the future. And and then he also wants to see companies that are buying back their stock that are, are doing things that are shareholder friendly. So I kind of group those into like the secondary quality criteria. We have the primary quality criteria and then we add those on to see if there's some sort of other and make sure there aren't any other negative issues going on with quality in the business. Yeah, that's a good point. And so what the model does is it looks at each of those specific criteria and it says, okay, can debt be paid off, for example, in let's say between three and five years based on the earnings that the company is generating? Or, you know, is the, like you, like you said, is there positive free cash flow being generated by the firm? So those are all individual criteria that are incorporated in the model and stocks are scored through each of those model, each of those criteria. Okay, so then the last, let's say the last uh, way or the th thing that's important, it's not necessarily a value criteria as much as it is, can you expect to get a above average future return on the stock when you buy it at the current levels, given the earnings power of the firm. Um, and it uses two methods, the EPS method and the ROE method. I'm not going to, we're not going to go into that in detail on this podcast just because it, it would be too much. But, you know, if you just at a high level want to talk about how the model uses those two methods and really what it's trying to get at. Yeah. So as, as we said before, you know, this is primarily a quality model with a secondary, you know, exposure to value. And in, in the case of value, what he's trying to do, it, it's sort of a mo more indirect method than saying, all right, the PE has to be below this. What he's trying to do is project future earnings using two different methods. One is to say, all right, if, if this firm can maintain the same ROE it has right now, what would earnings be, say, 10 years from now? The second one is if it can maintain the same earnings EPS growth it has historically, what would earnings be 10 years from now? And so I can take both of those future EPS numbers and then I can apply a conservative PE ratio to both of them and I can get a future stock price. And then by taking that future stock price and discounting it back to the present, I can figure out what is the implied return on the stock over that 10-year period. And so that's what it's doing. It's sort of an indirect way to get at value. And the strategy is looking for at least a 15% annualized return projected using those two methods, between the average of the two methods, over 10 years using that approach. All right. So there's the first step is, you know, does the company have a moat? It looks at, you know, long-term earnings. Um, higher than average long-term return on equity and return on capital. The second step or sort of group of investment criteria is more around quality, levels of debt, the cash flow, the use of retained earnings. And then lastly, you know, the model asks, is the price right? Can we expect a, a good long-term return out of, out of the stock? Um, this is just one way to look at how to implement Buffett quantitatively. I think where we started out the conversation is, can you really do it? The answer is no, because no one, he's never outlined his exact criteria. And I don't think, I've said this before in other podcasts or talks, you know, I don't think Buffett has an exact formulated criteria, but there are ways that you can try to get at some of the characteristics at how he invests. And that's essentially what um, our model is looking to do. So, yeah. And like you, like you said, I mean, obviously you, you can't model Buffett, but what you can do is, is 
take the factors he has followed over time and use these criteria to develop a quantitative strategy that takes, you know, that's discipline that takes emotion out of the equation and that gets exposure to the quality factor and also exposure to the value factor and potentially looks to quantify quantitatively identify companies that might have a moat. And so I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting way to look at stock selection, but in no way is it a way to mirror Buffett or try to hold exactly what he's holding right now, although there is some overlap at times. It's really a way to look at the factors that his strategy uses and to try to you know, try to build a quantitative strategy around it. Great. Well, I think that's a good way to wrap it up. So thank you guys for listening to this uh, episode. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at @practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.